the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Colossians. If you're trying to discern, is it God's will for me to pay taxes? Well, Romans chapter 13 makes it pretty clear. Whether you like it or not, you're supposed to pay taxes. There's some pretty clear passages. Then, but then you might be wrestling with a question, you know, should I move to Jersey City? Well, there's not a Bible verse about Jersey. I'm not sure why you need a verse on that, to be honest with you. But yet you can read the Bible and you can discern better about decisions and choices you need to make because you have the wisdom and the clarity of God from His Word. Are you struggling to know what the next step to take in your life is? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he stresses to you the importance of turning to the Lord for wisdom. God offers so many great insights within His Word. The more you read the Bible, the more you will understand God's character. Pastor Gary explains that by knowing more of God's character, this and the power of His Holy Spirit will help you move towards His will for your life. Seek God through His Word. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Colossians chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. As we start a new book study together here in the book of Colossians, I always like to give a little bit of a background and a little bit of context to the book. And so for those of you who like to take notes, let me talk just briefly about Colossae, the city. This is a letter you'll notice in verse 2 that Paul addresses to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Colossae is a, or was a city in modern Turkey, about 100 miles east of ancient Ephesus. It's about 350 miles due south from Istanbul, if you were to look on a map of Turkey today. Uh, but now it's pretty much just archaeological remains. It was situated along a major trade route in the Lycus Valley, and it was pretty much completely demolished by an earthquake in the first century, just shortly after this letter was written. Uh, In Paul's day, the city of Colossae was primarily Gentile, but historians say that it was also populated with as many as 50,000 Jews during this particular time. Let me give you a few bullet points on the letter itself here, the letter to uh, the Colossians, the people of Colossae. Paul writes to this church in Colossae while he's in prison 
the year some, sometime around 60 to 62 AD. Remember, in our last uh, book study, just before the Christmas holidays, in Philippians, uh, Paul also was in prison because Paul will write Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon during this time, 60 to 62 AD, while he is in prison in Rome. He's going to get out of prison, but it is for that time period that he writes these particular letters, and the letter to the Colossians is one of them. In chapter 1, verse 7, there's the mention of a guy by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras is thought to be the founder and pastor of this church. He's going to be referenced also again in chapter 4. And he's also, interestingly, mentioned in the short letter Philemon in verse 23. And in Philemon, verse 23, Paul calls him my fellow prisoner in Christ. So it appears that Epaphras also at some point ends up in prison. And it could very well be that Epaphras goes to visit Paul in Rome. And and I'll explain why he goes to visit Paul in a moment. And while he's there, he gets imprisoned for his own faith along with Paul because Paul sends this letter back to the church at Colossae, not by way of Epaphras, but by way of two other guys who are mentioned later in Colossians, Tychicus and Onesimus. So uh, we don't know too much about Epaphras. He's only mentioned three times in all of the New Testament, twice in Colossians, once in Philemon. But by the way Paul addresses him here in chapter 1, verse 7, we'll notice in a moment he calls him a faithful minister. That word minister is diakonos, just servant. He's the leader or pastor of that church. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it infers that Paul had never even been to the church at Colossae. A lot of the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament are addressed to churches that he himself, by the Lord's help, planted. This is not one of them. The church at Colossae was not planted by Paul. There's no reference either biblically or historically that Paul ever even visited this church. But he refers to them in chapter 2, 1 as uh, ones that he has never met. And uh, so he writes to this church because he's addressing some unknown heresy. Now, that seems to be the reason that Epaphras has come to visit Paul, because even though Paul has not planted the church at Colossae, Paul is a respected apostle. And Epaphras apparently has gone to visit Paul in hopes that Paul will give some good biblical counsel to his own church, to Epaphras' church that he's pastors here in Colossae, addressing some heresy that is prevalent in the church at Colossae. Now, when we, in the course of going through the book of Colossians, we're going to notice that this heresy really is a combination of several philosophies. These are all isms, and by the time we get to chapter 2, we'll break all these down, so I'm just going to give, for the moment, just the name of these heresies and, and the scripture references, but it won't be until we get to chapter 2. Lord willing, next week, that will actually unpack these different heresies. But it's because Paul addresses these various heresies that we come to understand. This is just kind of a combination, an amalgam of a bunch of heretical thinking that is happening in the church at Colossae. So Paul takes out his his pen and he starts writing as an apostle with some authority here saying, listen, you guys need to get back on track. You've allowed some isms into the church. One of the isms we'll, we'll read about later in chapter 2 is humanism. Now, humanism is largely influenced by Greek philosophy. That's the basis behind humanism, which basically teaches that man is the center of his universe, not God. Greek philosophy, not unlike a lot of humanistic views today, 
believed that mankind is the center of his universe, mankind is the center of his or her destiny, and mankind is the center to his or her own solution to whatever is his or her problem. That's humanism. And Paul's going to address it in chapter 2. There's another ism we're going to also see that has infiltrated the church, and that's legalism. This is largely influenced by the Jews. Jewish thinking was that you had to uh, obey certain rules and regulations in order to get in God's good favor or to keep in God's good standing. So it's about rules, it's about regulations, it's about traditions, it's about feasts, it's about festivals, it's about all kinds of things like that. And so he's going to address that also in chapter 2, legalism. There's another ism that is part of this amalgam of heresies, and that's mysticism. Uh, Mysticism was largely influenced by Eastern mysticism, whereby there's this great um, emphasis on the supernatural and mystical spiritual things, even to the point where in chapter 2, Paul's going to talk to the church at Colossae about the wrong thing that they're doing in regards to the worship of angels. That's how mystical they've become, that they're even worshiping angels. And he says, that's heresy as well. So we'll talk about that also. And then the last ism that has infiltrated this church is asceticism. Now, asceticism asceticism is basically the result of spiritual influence, and and it's wrong spiritual influence. And asceticism basically goes like this. Um, It's it's all about uh, depriving yourself. It's more than denying yourself depriving yourself of anything that is at all pleasurable, that, uh, that the view through asceticism is that anything pleasurable can't be from God. And so if you're having a fun time, you're, you're not following God. And, and, you know, that can be true in some regards. You know, there's some fun that's off limits. And then there's other fun. People who don't have the real proper view of Christianity think that we're all, you know, no fun at all. And, and that's not true. Um, there's good fun and there's bad fun. And, and yet asceticism teaches all fun is bad and that you are to deprive yourself of any pleasure. You shouldn't pursue anything that you enjoy. And the extreme view of asceticism is actually self-flagellation, that you should actually punish yourself and inflict injury on yourself and, and deprive yourself because that kind of a person is going to be closer to God. So all these things, he's going to address all these kind of isms. Now, what you're going to notice when, again, if we, Lord willing, get to it in chapter 2 next week, you're going to notice that there's an element of all of these isms in our world even today. And here we are now almost 2,000 years later, and we're going to see humanism, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism even in our own culture. So that's what we're going to be focusing on primarily next week. Now, Paul's answer, I'm going to give you the answer, you know, um, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you the answer right up front, okay? Paul's, Paul's answer to all of this, to all this heresy is the supremacy of Christ. He's going to, he's going to talk here in Colossians, he's going to say, okay, all of this wrong way of thinking, this humanism, legalism, this mysticism and asceticism, all of it pales in comparison to the, to the matchless name of Christ and the supremacy of Jesus in all things. Okay, and that's going to be his emphasis here. He's going to say, "Don't get." He's going to say, "Don't get wound up into all these other things because you're going to miss the most supreme and important thing that is superior and more excellent than anything and everything, and that's Christ." And and the book of Colossians was written in this way, and and much like how Paul wrote 
uh, the book of Ephesians, Colossians neatly divides in half. And if you were here for our study of Ephesians, you will remember that six chapters in Ephesians, the first three chapters versus the last three chapters, and Colossians neatly divides in a similar way. Chapters one and two, because there's only four chapters to Colossians, chapter one and two are doctrinal. And he's going to emphasize doctrine. He's going to talk about the supremacy of Christ. Okay, that's going to be the overarching theme. And then the last two chapters, three and four, are practical. And he's going to talk about submission to Christ. So he's going to talk about the supremacy of Christ. And then if you recognize the supremacy of Christ, what is our responsibility in submission to the supremacy of Christ? So that's how this book divides, neatly in half. First two chapters, doctrine about the supremacy of Christ. Last two chapters, practical about submission to the supremacy of Christ. How are we to live out our faith? How are we to walk in, in acknowledging the supremacy of Christ? So that's how, this, that's how this book breaks down. So with all that introduction, let's start here in chapter 1, see how far we get for tonight. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, there we have the author's name right at the beginning. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, you read some liberal theologians and commentaries, and like, we're not really sure that Paul wrote this, kind of the grammatical composition and, and the tone and the tenor doesn't really seem to be consistent with Paul. Just like, how much time do you want to waste trying to figure that out? How about you just look at the first word of verse 1? Paul. That's good enough for me. Why, why do we sit around and debate it more than that? Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Remember, Timothy was his traveling companion for, for some of his missionary journeys. So Timothy's with him in some attending way there as Paul is in prison. Paul's an apostle. Apostle just is a word in the Greek that means one who is sent out. He's apostle of Christ Jesus, remember, Okay, apostles are those that God appoints because he says here as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, God calls the apostles. Jesus had an original 12 apostles. An apostle by definition of scripture is one who is an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ and one who performs miracles. Paul was not of the original 12, but he mentions to us through his testimony in Acts chapter 9 when he has this personal encounter with the, with the risen Lord on the road to Damascus that he is converted in Acts chapter 9, and then Paul refers to himself in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 8 as one who's an apostle but abnormally born. He's like, I, I didn't come the, the regular route of the original 12. I came in after the fact, but I too was an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. And he writes here in verse 2, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, excuse me, to the holy, some of your translations, King James and ESV, New King James is the word saints, to the holy and faithful brothers, saints, New King James, ESV. The Greek word is just hagios. You know, literally, we're all saints, but don't think of yourself as like one of those bobbleheads on a dashboard of a car, okay? We're saints because we are ones who have been rescued and redeemed uh, by the Lord. And he writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father. This is a typical way that Paul introduced many of his epistles, grace and peace, always in that order. This is a Greek and a Hebrew salutation, grace, charis, peace, shalom to you from God our Father. He says in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Notice, he's thankful for the church at Colossae, about two things. And I love the way that he opens up this letter because, you know, he's not going to just barge right in and start talking about the heresies. He first is going to be very sincere in pointing out 
with words of affirmation some wonderful things about this church. And he points out here, your faith in Christ Jesus, I've heard about this, he says in verse four, your reputation has preceded you. I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and number two, of the love you have for all the saints. Now, what I think is important for us to note from this, I love the way that Paul, before he kind of lowers the hammer, just eases in with some gentle words of affirmation. You know, if you really want to say the hard thing to somebody, start with a soft, kind word of appreciation. It works, usually. A kind word turns away wrath. And so he's saying to them, this is not, you know, this is not, he's, just not, he's not buttering them up. I mean, he's being sincere here. He's like, he's like, I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. He says the verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, gospel just means the good news that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, here's this guy mentioned here, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister, again, diakonos, minister, servant, that's what, a, that's what a pastor minister is, of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So this is, this is what Paul learns about the reputation of this church through Epaphras. Epaphras is bragging about the flock there in Colossae. He says, they have such a faith in the Lord. They have such love for the saints. So Paul writes them and he commends them for their love Uh, for their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. And he says in verse 9, for this reason, rather verse 8, for this reason, no, it is verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God, notice he's going to ask for two things. Number one, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, and we pray this, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. All right, that's a mouthful, but there was no period there, so I wanted to read all of it. But let's come back and notice again in verse 9 and 10. What are the specific things that Paul prays for concerning the Colossians? Two things. Number one, in verse 9, to have a knowledge of God's will informed by a true spiritual understanding. He says, I don't want you just to assume God's will. I want you to know God's will. And he's praying that they would know God's will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, knowledge and wisdom is going to be some key words that Paul's going to use throughout the letter to the Colossians. But again, he's going to contrast it with the kind of worldly influence, worldly knowledge, worldly wisdom. He says, I want you to know the will of God. But he says, I don't want you to know the will of God by the way that people assess and determine things. I want you to know the will of God by true spiritual understanding. And then verse 10, secondly, I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. And this is his prayer. These two things for the people that he's never even met, to know God's will and then to walk worthy of the Lord in every way, pleasing him. Now, at this point, I just want to take a a little short detour because this 
aspect here in verse 9 about having a knowledge of, of God's will is probably one of the most common questions I get as a pastor from people who are, you know, pastor, help me to understand how do I discern the will of God. Now, I've mentioned these kind of things before in passing, but I'm going to breeze through this pretty quickly because I don't want to be making too long of a detour. But since it is such a common question, and since all of us are, are always wanting to know what is God's will, whether it's what is God's will for a move, what is God's will for uh, a spouse, what, if, what is God's will for a career, what is God's will for this, for that, for everything, it's important to understand how do we discern God's will using the kind of spiritual wisdom and knowledge that, that, he, that he would give us. So three things, okay, the, the three C's. The first is the counsel of God's word. Discerning God's will comes first by the counsel of God's word. In Psalm chapter 32, verse 8, it says, uh, David says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. And God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, meditate on my word day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. And then also in Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, meaning that God's word illuminates the near, and your word is a light unto my path, meaning God's word illuminates the distant. And we need revelation for both the near and the distant. I can't emphasize to you enough that if you want to discern God's will, you're going to have to get into God's word. God is not obligated to reveal his unknown will to you until you first take advantage of reading his known will for you. And the Bible is God's known will and revealed will for your life. So read the Bible and get it into your heart because it will give you wisdom and sometimes it's very interesting the way God's Word, even though it's an ancient text, but it's timeless truth, it's very interesting sometimes how even a particular verse can speak very directly to your situation. And there are times that God's Word will speak to us and clarify to us regarding God's will, um, either explicitly or implicitly. And God will reveal himself through his word, either directly through principles or through passages. For example, if you were to, you know, maybe you're embroiled in some kind of a messy situation with a coworker or a neighbor, and you're thinking, you know, I, I think I'm going to sue this person. I'm talking about civil civil lawsuit, not a criminal lawsuit, because criminal lawsuit, that's a different thing, and that's not often, um, you know, anything you can control anyway. That's usually done on behalf of a person by, by the government. But anyway, if you were to say, I, I, you know, I might take this person to court, and I'm going to sue them. Well, if you're a Christian, and that other person is a Christian, there's a pretty clear passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that Christians aren't supposed to sue Christians. So God has an answer for that if you're trying to discern his will, and it's pretty clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, if you're trying to discern, is it God's will for me to pay taxes? Well, Romans chapter 13 makes it pretty clear. Whether you like it or not, you're supposed to pay taxes. There's some pretty clear passages. Then, but then you might be wrestling with a question, you know, should I move to Jersey City? Well, there's not a Bible verse about Jersey. I'm not sure why you need a verse on that, to be honest with you. But yet you can read the Bible and you can discern better about decisions and choices you need to make because you have the wisdom and the clarity of God from his word. 
Uh, Romans 12, verse 2, talks about how don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Romans 12, 2 tells us, listen, we need a renewed mind to be able to discern and test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the way that you really renew your mind is to read the Bible. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Here at Cornerstone Connection, we are committed to providing teaching that helps you become rooted and built up in Christ. Pastor Gary Hamrick is working through Colossians, and it is full of wisdom that will establish your heart in the faith. If you want to take this one step further, we have companion resources available for you. These digital study guides are for those who want to learn more about today's message. You can find these resources and so much more on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can subscribe to our podcast or download our mobile app. Hours of great teaching from God's Word in the palm of your hand. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, check out our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, to find our location and service time. If you have specific prayer requests, you can send them to us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. And remember that we are always giving thanks for you when we pray for you. We can't wait to connect with you again next time at Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.